All right, welcome to the uh, 19th episode of the Engaging Fan Base podcast. It's hard to imagine it's been that many. Feels like yesterday when we started. Unfortunately, my co-host Erwin is not able to be with us today, but today I am very lucky to be joined again by Solve Whittle um, of uh, Shades of Solve. And uh, very excited to have her on again. Uh, this is the third time she has um, graced our podcast and um, very knowledgeable and insightful music marketing blogger and uh, many other things to boot. But um, And uh, today we are going to talk about her. Um, uh, well, why don't you tell us about your blog a little bit and then we'll talk about the, the blog post we're going to talk about. Sure. So I am a blogger. I'm a musician uh, and I have a background in marketing and I had this whole other career in the software industry. And then I decided um, that I wanted to really do what I loved and become a full-time musician. Actually, I ended up being a part-time musician like a lot of people. Um, and I, I ended up falling in love with social media. So I also teach social media. Um, which is kind of the direction that marketing is going and is very relevant for musicians as well. So it all kind of tied together. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I decided that while I was on this journey of learning about how to promote my own music and kind of the ins and the outs of the music business that I would document that for other people because I felt like there wasn't, at the time that I started, like about four years ago, there really wasn't a whole lot of information online for free. There was, you know, there was a lot of books. Um, now there's just a plethora of information for free and a lot of people who are doing some really great, um, you know, really great work um, similar to what I'm doing. But so there's almost overwhelming how much there is. But I'd like to focus on things that are really practical for musicians. So less kind of the theory of marketing, although I talk a little bit about the application of some of the theories that I learned about um, in marketing to the business of doing music marketing, which is sometimes relevant and sometimes really doesn't fit. So I try to really just kind of share what I've done and what I've learned and um, other sources that I found and examples um, of musicians that I think are doing a really amazing job. And I also try to focus on stuff that is you know, things that the average person could do, not don't require like a hundred thousand dollar marketing budget or, you know, working with like a top digital agency, like a lot of musicians who are, you know, who have that kind of a uh, brand name recognition have. So I'm trying to really focus on things that are doable, that are like bite-sized pieces that um, people can do themselves and learn about. And even if you don't do those things yourself, even if you end up hiring somebody else to help you do those things, I think it's really important for musicians to understand enough about what it, what they're doing. So if they're paying someone else, they can know whether or not, you know, is that effective? Is it, are they, mm -hmm. are they doing a good job? Because yeah. I also find that a lot of musicians just, you know, I don't know if it's the left brain, right brain thing, but a lot of musicians are just, it's like they just want to put their heads in the sand when it comes to like business stuff or marketing stuff. It's like, nah, you know, <laughs> you know, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I try to make it easy for people to um, understand, like to digest, like so they don't feel intimidated. Um, so that's, well, you know, it's really great. Well, you know, what's really great about your blog is that you are able to take um, a lot of resources and you're you're very well read and you um, do make it digestible for people. Um, well, I, I think that it's no, I think that's I really recommend anybody who's listening to this to check out your blog, shadesofsolve.com. I got that right, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I was supposed <laughs> to say that part, wasn't I? <laughs> Sorry. No, I really recommend it. One of my favorite blogs, um, most definitely. <clears throat> so um, today we're going to talk about uh, blog posts you actually wrote in like I think it was January, and we've been talking about doing this podcast forever. <laughs> but yeah, um, DIY is dead. Now, where did you come yeah. up with that title? <laughs> Funny you ask. 
So I was writing this blog post and you and I, I think were on another blab or we were talking mm -hmm. somehow and you said, mm -hmm. you should call it DIY is dead because, you know, <laughs> so I totally credit you for the title of this because, and I was like, oh, that's such clickbait. That's such clickbait, but, you know, my marketing instincts were like, you know, excited by that whole title because it was a great title. So, and it was, a, it is a great title. It is a great title. I mean, you know, I think, that's part of the idea of marketing, right? Is to sort of be provocative a little bit. And, mm -hmm. you know, when you're a musician, being provocative can actually be a great tactic. So it's it's not mm -hmm. a bad sort of walking the, walk the talk kind of thing. So, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. So the, the blog is, uh, the blog post is about seven things any mus musicians should do. Uh, should focus on in 2016. So I thought we yep. would just go through. Um, I I printed them out for myself so I could read them off, but uh, and then just kind of discuss each one of them. Oops. Absolutely. I need to uh, get rid of my Facebook so that it doesn't beep. And she's gone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh no! Hopefully, Cara's gonna come back. <laughs> Meanwhile, oh, here she comes. <laughs> She's coming back. I know she is. Yes, I can repost. Even I can repost. Let me back. Oh, yeah, I kind of clicked out. Sorry about that. <laughs> um. Anyway, all right. So let's uh, let's go ahead and focus. Uh, refocus here, since I'm ridiculous. What um, did you do? I I was I, I I had Facebook open and I uh, I clicked um uh, closed everything off and I turned up the lab. Sorry about that. All right. So seven things indie musicians should focus on in 2016. Um, yes. First of all, I, I we were saying about this before we started. How did you come up with this list? How how did because it's it's comprehensive. Um, <laughs> Facebook breaks yeah, everything, no. but um, yeah, it, it's al it's always know. hard to decide. Well, yeah, it's hard to come up with these lists, you know, top ten or whatever it is. But totally. Um, so to, be, just, uh, to, mm -hmm. to tell, just to tell you the truth, it's really what is like at the top of my mind. And it's based mm -hmm. on this gestalt of everything that I'm reading at the time and everything that I had been reading for the past, you know, several months about what I really felt was um, most cutting edge and most pressing for musicians mm -hmm. right at that time that mm -hmm. I was writing it, which was, mm -hmm. well, let's see what the date was, but. Um, it was beginning of January. Yeah, it was January, right. Because yeah. it's kind of my like, year post I had done another beginning of the year post what should you focus on in 2015 that people really liked mm -hmm. and so I felt like I kind of wanted to do another one of those sort of you know what is what should people really focus on and I think and here we are like almost halfway through and it should be interesting to talk about how uh, how, how relevant to that is so far. Mm -hmm. totally so so first I'm of all afraid of ones. you know these prediction like I'm always afraid to of of doing one of those because, you know, they're so easy to poke holes in like six months later. So <laughs> we'll see. All right. Well, let's see if we can poke any holes. <laughs> I don't Absolutely. think we can. I think, I think you were, you were spot on so far this year. So uh, the first one is, is do it yourself as dead, do it with a team, but choose carefully. Um, yep. I agree with this completely. And one thing that you talk about this is to, uh, like you were saying a moment ago, first, Get yourself the education, especially online. There's so much uh, information. There's blogs. There's there's webinars. There's blabs. You know, there's all kinds of ways to to get information yep. online. But um, whether it's a team within your band and you all have the resources um, and the the requisite skill set to to take care of all the different pieces that need to be taken care of. There's so many different things uh, that need to be done. Or or get yourself the the right team. So. Totally. And Sorry, this is, a lot of what this came out of was um, my own experience, but also talking to musicians that I work with because I do 
one-on-one um, -on -one consulting with musicians and on their marketing and, and also just mm -hmm. kind of career strategy. And there's a lot of, there's always this tension between, you know, I just want to be a musician and don't, I don't want to have to be on social media because social media is such a, sorry, my cat um, was sitting on my lap, but social media is just such a time sink, you know, and mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, one of the things, because I teach social media, I teach it to adults who are interested in learning about how they can apply social media to their small businesses, to their organizations, their large companies, if they are not yet using social media. And so, you know, one of the real important things to realize is that social media can be really overwhelming for people and marketing can be really overwhelming for most musicians. Mm -hmm. And focusing on, you know, what is it that I really need to do to accomplish my goals with my music is really what I'm trying to get out here. What is it you really need to do? And then who is good at what in my band? What am I good at? Mm -hmm. You know, how much resources mm -hmm. do I have? Can I do this all myself? You know, usually it's a pretty daunting, um, you know, idea that people, they look at, like, read some of the stuff online and they're like, oh my God, I have to have a Facebook page and I have to go on Google Plus. I have to go on Instagram. I have to be on, you know, Periscope and I have to be doing Facebook Live every day and I have to do concert window and I have to do this and I have to do that. And, you know, really you need to focus on what are the core basics of what you need to do for your music based on what your goals are because frankly most musicians every musician has a slightly different set of skills and every musician or and or band you know you might have people in your band who are really great at social media you might have nobody who's really good at social media mm -hmm. but you can't ignore social media as an important part of your marketing strategy because number one, it's mostly, mo not all, totally, but mostly a lot of it can be done for free or very modest amounts of advertising dollars. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know anything about Facebook and you're an indie musician, you know, that's really something you should educate yourself about or find somebody else who can help you with that because that's just you know one key thing that I think musicians really need to be um, thinking about how to kind of have a team around them, whether it's people that you pay or whether it's your band other band members who are kind of in it mm -hmm. and not you're not paying them an hourly wage, whether it's educating yourself or whether it's you know maybe you need to hone your live performance because your live performance really isn't that great and that's another critical thing. That I, that I talked about, mm -hmm. you know, it really came out of like, what are the key things that I need to be able to do? I meaning me as the indie musician, mm -hmm. like I need to have a great live show. I need to do social media. You know, I need to think about the business of my music. Like I need to understand what, like, am, how am I going to ever make money doing this was kind of the genesis of this mm -hmm. whole post. And mm -hmm. I think there's so much you can be doing that can be very overwhelming and having you know, maybe for some musicians, it's having a coach that they can talk to about where to focus their own energy and their dollars because everyone has limited mm -hmm. dollars. And I think, you know, I was reading, like I was, I mentioned this post in here um, by, uh, it, it was a, it was actually, um, I shouldn't skip ahead, but I'm going to skip ahead for a second. Um, picking the right partners. Um was I had referred to this post in here by, um, who was it? Yeah, Steve Rennie. So he did a great um, video session. You know, he does these interviews and stuff and he does some good sessions. And, you know, picking who you work with is really important. Like I've talked to a lot of musicians who have spent a lot of money um, on partnering with people or paying to play or doing different things. And, they're spending money, but they're not seeing the return for it. And so this point really is about knowing that you can't do it yourself, but being smart about picking the people that you work with so that those people are complimenting, complimenting what you yourself can do. Um, and if you're paying them, being able to know that you're going to be getting quality, it's like a quality, you know, consulting 
anything you want to pay, you have limited dollars. We all have limited dollars and you don't want to waste your money. And that was kind of my point is don't feel like you have to do it all, but also be careful about who you partner with. And I think there's, I mentioned a variety well, of ways that you can do that. Well, that's where, uh, you know, being educated first um, comes in. I think like you were saying, we had a question here. What sort of a person would you recommend to be an honest critic? Um, is it really, is it worth uh, paying someone for that? Or is that a red flag? So what would your answer be? This is the same two things. There's two, two places where I think criticism is really important. <clears throat> Number one is your website. Number two is your music. Um, and they're really similar. Actually. I do think it's worth Does music include your performance. Do you think? Yeah, I do think so. So, you know, performance mm -hmm. skills are actually like a third thing. And so many musicians, mm -hmm. it's like they don't want to ask. You know, it's almost harder to ask for feedback on your live performance than it is to ask for feedback on your actual music. But both of them are so hard for us musicians because we, it's like our, our, you know, our heart. So you put your, mm -hmm. put your stuff out there. It's your art. It's you. It's like you put it out there and then, Somebody's like, well, it's, you know, it's really not that great, <laughs> you know, or they don't usually say that. They're not usually that blunt. They'll say some, they'll kind of pussyfoot around about it. It's not really my style, you know? And so let me tell you, number one, the people not to get feedback from. I would not get feedback from friends and family because they're just going to tell mm -hmm. you what you want to hear. They love you. So, you know, that's even if they, uh, or maybe I should say, unless it's your cousin, so they're kind of removed from immediate family and they're in the music business and they're actually, they're successful in the music business. You know, like if you've got a cousin who's like an amazing producer in your genre, in your genre, I would, I would ask them if they'd be willing to listen to your music. But much better to get, to try to get a more objective perspective on your music and your performance. The performance might be a little bit harder to get an objective presence, uh, an objective critique on. I actually wrote a whole blog post about, because I am a fan, I admit it, of Tom Jackson's performance boot camp. So I'll address that one first. Um, Tom Jackson, I just think, does a great job of transforming people on, like, on stage live. He does a boot camp every year. You can also hire him for thousands of dollars or one of his associates mm -hmm. to critique your band or your own, your, you know, your just singer songwriter stuff. I have just seen him do such amazing transformations on people. There are other people that can do that, but I think a performance coach, paying a performance coach to give you some tips on stage presence, on blocking, on um, mm -hmm. set, list uh kind of engineering your set list figuring out the energy in your songs so which songs to start with which songs to peak with which songs to kind of bring the energy level down how to do audience interaction all those things that like tom covers a lot of that in his boot camps he also has like videos um so i'm not going to be a big like you know tom jackson like promoter here but find somebody who you can either get a recommendation from some other um, another musician who you whose stage presence you really <laughs> admire and ask them if they've been coached, um, or you can um, you know go look at some of the videos online that Tom Jackson has up there for free and get a sense of some of the things that he does. But there are definitely ways to improve your stage performance, and I think most people know when they are not great at performing because. Or maybe the flip side is they know when they are really great at performing because the audience, they really connect with the audience and they can tell that, mm -hmm. you know, I can tell that when I'm really connecting with the audience and I can tell when the audience is like, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, somebody's over there like getting a latte They're you know, like there's, there's a real, um, you can get a real sense of that if you're really a great performer or you've seen somebody who's a really great performer. Um, yeah, not your cousins, Steven, don't ask your cousins for advice. Um, and then, you know, there's um, definitely there are places to go where you can have your music listened to by objective um, people. There are websites. Um, AudioKite is one of them. I don't know if you're familiar with that, 
But um, that's an interesting website where you can actually post your songs. You can pay to um, to get your songs listened to by a completely, you know, an anonymous set of people basically who volunteer to do this. Um, you can also um, go to, there's a number of music conferences you can go to where you can submit your music to be listened to and critiqued. Like we went to um, the Durango songwriters uh, workshop, great place to go and meet people who are in the music industry, um, music supervisors, they'll listen to your stuff and they'll actually critique it. Uh, and it's such a great experience. Like if you've never done that at like Taxi or, you know, Durango or, or ASCAP um, Expo, go and like listen to the feedback because, you know, it's not like that's necessarily going to be, you know, the only feedback you want to get, but you want to get feedback from people that don't know you, who aren't basically invested in making you feel good. Um, somebody who mm -hmm. is preferably has some experience in the music industry. So like some of these music supervisors, like at Durango, that's their job. They're like, they're like basically placing music in TV shows. They're placing music in, um, you know, movies and they're all different, right? So like you have to take it with a grain of salt, but it's hugely helpful, hugely helpful. I, you know, I've written about this before. It's like, you know, this myth of the 10,000 hours, like I'm going to improve um, because I just keep working at my craft. That's just not totally true. It is true that you're going to get better working at your craft, but you're only going to get better if you actually get feedback from a valued and objective and, you know, professional source. And I do think it's worth paying. I don't think it's worth paying like a ton of money, but you know, I have a, I have a vocal pre-producer I work with. So he's, he's been working with a number of vocalists over the years. He's a wonderful guy. Um, his name is Brad Chapman. And he and I were just talking the other day. So he's like what they call a vocal pre-producer, which is basically someone who does, it's not exactly like a vocal coach. He comes in though, and he does coach you before you go into the studio or you go live on your performance. So it's not just like vocal exercises, but it's more like the delivery, uh, you know, your phrasing, just a whole bunch of different things, the emotion of your mm -hmm. song. So it's a lot more than being a vocal coach. And he was talking about how he has people all the time who send him, you know, their music and ask him to listen to it. And because he has, you know, he has a lot of experience in the, in the business. And he said, I always tell him, you know, Hey, I'll charge you. I don't know what he charges, but I'll charge you X amount of money for 15 minutes and I'll listen to your music. And these are people that he doesn't know. They don't know him. And they, he said, you know, hardly any of them take him up on it. And he's not charging like a thousand dollars. You know, he's charging like a reasonable mm -hmm. amount of money. And sure, it's, you know, yeah. one person's opinion. And, you know, maybe he's not an expert in your genre. Like I wouldn't say he's probably an expert in hip hop, but he is like really good at with female vocals. So, you know, that's the kind of do a little bit of research find somebody, you know, ask your friend who likes the same kind of music you like, who has a band, hey, have they worked with somebody who um, they would recommend who would just listen? Like producers are great because, you know, studio owners are great, but people who are good producers because they've listened to a lot mm -hmm. of different bands, right? And so mm -hmm. they're going to give you critique on your songwriting potentially on the the quality of your production on the quality of your craft like maybe like hey you need to take some voice lessons you need to get a better guitar player whatever it is you know your maybe your production is not that good so you know getting feedback from somebody who is um qualified and it's not that hard to figure out if they're qualified not related to you and if they ask you to pay for them, like pay something reasonable, like, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, 20 bucks, 25 bucks, mm -hmm. 50 bucks, like that's totally worth it. Totally worth it. I wouldn't pay like thousands of dollars, but yeah. I would pay a, a little bit of money if this person has a good reputation. You can check them out online. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that. 
That was really Sorry, great. I kind of delved into it. But, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there, there are good people out there to help you. The biggest problem I see is people don't want to work on the things they're weak on. And that's true for me too. And I think most of us usually know what we're not so great with, but you know, it's like anything you can learn. You can, you can absolutely learn. And if it's not your strength and you tried your hardest to like, let's say, you know, you wanted to become a guitar player, you picked up the guitar, you started writing songs and you realized that you're just not that great a guitar player, then you need to partner with somebody, whether that means hiring them as a studio musician, if what you want is really great guitar on your song that you have envisioned, you need to be willing to pay somebody else or you need to be willing to spend the time to get a lot better because you know maybe your strength is songwriting or your strength is, you know, being, uh, you know, doing great orchestration and arrangement, but you're not a really great guitar player. So sometimes we have to let go a little bit of the things that we're not super fantastic at um, and understand that we may need to hire somebody else to do those things who's really good at it. Well, that goes back to the team and really having a lot more, um, it's educating yourself, but it's also having some self-awareness and understanding what you're what you're good at and, and where you need some, some support. Um, I agree completely. Um, let's move on to the next one. Um, don't, so this is an interesting, like we went from get a team to metadata. Don't put any music online without any. Yeah, metadata. that was the other one. And that was, that was the other two. one that was, that's been bugging me for years actually. But I, well, the whole metadata is a, is a, it's a place where most musicians are kind of afraid of this whole idea because it's somehow sounds too technical. And I have, I'll tell you my article on how to edit your MP3 metadata is, I think it's the most read article on my blog and I should put a link up to it. Um, it is, so easy to do this and most musicians that i know who do particularly ones who do self production you know self recording they don't they don't understand that that is really important stuff you know when you post your stuff onto say cd baby like if you release your stuff on cd baby they're going to go through and ask you who all the musicians are that played who the songwriters are who the publisher is and they're you're gonna they're gonna enter that information, and that's gonna go out, and that's great. If you do that through like a service, like a distribution service like CD Baby or TuneCore, mm -hmm. um, or if you work with a label, they should do that. Not all labels do, not all small labels mm -hmm. do, but all labels should be entering that metadata. And so that's the that's very critical because this metadata is how your music is tracked electronically. It's distributed electronically. You know, most music is, metadata doesn't matter for the physical CDs or the records or the vinyl, but metadata matters a lot for streaming, for downloads. Um, if you do, if you distribute your music via SoundCloud, if you allow people to download it and all you do is upload an MP3 or a WAV file with no metadata and that person downloads that file and then they share it, or do whatever with it, or someone puts it in a library, you have no way to track that if none of that data mm -hmm. is in there. So metadata is just really the information needed to track to trace that track back to you so that you can be compensated for it or so that you can be acknowledged mm -hmm. as the as the artist on that track. And so it's it's really pretty easy. It's not that hard. You don't have to enter like 30 things. Um, the most important ones are, you know, making sure you enter the title of your song consistently. I have talked to so many music supervisors who told me that, um, you know, one of the biggest problems in the industry right now is that publishers have taken songs and retitled them and they have changed the metadata. And so they can't actually track this is part of the reason why it's really hard to track the income back for some of these, um, tracks is because mm -hmm. they're titled mm -hmm. differently. And even the, um, mm -hmm. the artist's name could be different. So you just want to be clear mm -hmm. when, you know, don't, don't rename your song or change it or 
put a, you know, forget to put a um, capital letter when you really, you know, put a capital letter on one, one time when you're entering the song for mm -hmm. this and then not on the other one because all that stuff matters. And if it doesn't match, then you're not going to get paid. Well, and I, you know, that, that goes right into number three is uh, you talk about data a lot as well. Yeah. And I love data. I love data. It's scary. And uh, number three, you say use data. What's that? It's a scary. Numbers term. are scary, but using data from services like Spotify and Bands in Town, your own website and social media traffic to understand your fans. But um, this is, you know, you're talking about tracking your your music, but but data is just data is king. I mean, in this economy and and, and business these days, I mean, it, data is everything, and really understanding. You know that's the other side of it, but understanding um, your just your Google Analytics uh, going into to, um, to something like just simple as uh, Bandcamp and, and looking at your stats and understanding, exactly. or you YouTube. know that people are skipping or the YouTube. song, you, you know, or YouTube or has YouTube. some great information demographic. Mm -hmm. Great, all of them do. Uh, Facebook has wonderful yeah. insights, and I, I, I. I know that the vast majority of bands aren't, aren't utilizing it and and, um, email, and it's quite simple to track your email time. list too like one of the things that well if, if you, you have, have one, one. <laughs> but and you should i mean you know one of the things that we often it's it's always with marketers it's always this kind of you know pros and cons of collecting data about your list um you know when you sign people up like on your if you have a sign up on your website like you know, give me your email address and I'll give you a download or give me an email address and I'll give you, you know, a newsletter on a monthly basis or whatever. Um, it's always a trade off. Like you don't want to be collecting like, you know, asking them 10 different questions so that they give up before they give you your their email address. But you could ask them a few. You can ask them their zip code. You know, you, you don't have to ask for addresses, but you can ask mm -hmm. for zip code. Um, you can ask you know, a few things that are important to you to, to figure out who your audience is. Like most of the time you can guess if they're male or female, so you don't have to ask that. That's actually important data. Um, you know, so what is data? This mm -hmm. is this is the other thing. I think what idea people hear about the word data and they, especially musicians, it's another one of those like, mm, you know, like, so let's just be really, yeah blunt about it data just means i need to i, I want to understand who my fans are i want to understand why because i want to know where i should put my marketing emphasis because i want to know the things i can ignore that's what i always tell musicians what they need is permission to ignore certain things and that data even if it's imperfect is going to help you ignore certain things like for example um if you are a um, ukulele playing, Comic-Con loving, cosplay type of musician who enjoys writing humorous songs about Star Trek or Doctor Who, you should probably think about having a Google Plus profile. Or maybe a year ago you should have thought about having a Google Plus profile. But you should be thinking about Reddit. You should be thinking about where your fans are. Like if your fans are primarily, you know, guy programmer types, then you got to go where they are because they might not be on Periscope. They might, oh, they might be on Periscope. They might not be on Facebook. They might be on another social media platform. And so how you're going to talk to them, how you're going to interact with them, how you're going to basically create a relationship with your fans is going to be dependent on understanding who they are. And it's not like you have to, you know, have a thousand or 3000 people on your email list or videos with, you know, a million plays to get data. Data just means I want to understand who they are. So let's just ask some basic questions. Can I, and I do this, um, I wrote another blog post, which is like identifying your super fan. I suggest to most musicians that I talk to who I work with that they really try to create a profile of who their just rabid fan is. It could be a real person or it could just be like kind of an amalgam 
of people that they know love their mm -hmm. music and most musicians know it's funny because i i when sometimes when i say this to musicians i i say well you know you probably have a fan that like kind of stalks you <laughs> you know like women all go yeah. oh yeah i do <laughs> you know not a stalker type person but somebody who just adores your music who loves your music who constantly mm -hmm. shares your music with other people what is their profile? Are they uh, male or female? More importantly, what's their kind of psychographic profile, which is a complicated marketing term that just means what kinds of things do they like to do besides listen to your music? Like, do they drive a Subaru? Are they outdoorsy? Or are they, um, you know, like the country music demographic has a certain profile. The indie music demographic has a certain profile. You know, are you, is your, are your super fans like, the type who are going to be, you know, caring about animal uh, rights. Are they going to be, uh, you know, eco-conscious, um, or are they, you know, totally different from that? Like, that's the data that you care about. Like, you, you know, you care about mm -hmm. what they like, how you can reach them, how you can reach the fans that you haven't yet reached, because you know what kinds of fans they are. You know who loves your music now. And that's yeah. the kind of data that we're talking about. And sometimes you have to extrapolate. You can't, like, you're not going to know down to the, like, you know, last little description because you've got so much big data. You know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about getting a sense of who your fans are by doing a little bit of mm -hmm. research on them or collecting a little bit of data. It doesn't have to be, like, a ton of data. Maybe it's just a survey. On your email list, like, hey, could you um, fill out this survey, monkey survey? Totally free, totally free survey service that I love, Survey Monkey. Ask them three questions, you know, mm -hmm. ask them three questions and then develop that sense of who your fans are. Because I find a lot of musicians just, they have kind of a vague sense, but they can't really back that up with any information um, from, from mm -hmm. online. And there's so much information online you know, as we were talking about social media profiles, your Facebook fan page or, or you know, music page. I mean, just amazing amounts of data uh, that is way better than having no data. And you might find some- Well, you know, the, the data, the, starting with your target audience and your target fan base is definitely the place to start when you're when you're marketing. I mean, it's the place where you start with any any kind of marketing. Uh, the other thing about data that's great is that it can help you figure out if what you're doing is effective after you've done it, and and really understanding once you've you know done that Facebook ad or you've put up that video or whatever it is, you've sent that email, you know, did people respond to that subject line or or that kind of thing, and and tracking that over time is is really um, uh, that very, very important to be able to figure out if, if the time you're spending is, is being effective. Exactly. Um, and that of course will in turn help you understand your target audience even better. Um, just kind of cyclical yeah, there. I, I think but, um, data is just one of those things that like, it scares people, the term scares people. And all it means is, you know, to be mm -hmm. able to support it's yeah, information. It's information. It's like to be able to support your, your decisions, um, you need some kind of information that supports why you're putting your money and your time there. If you can't answer the question, you know, which mm -hmm. social media am I spending my time on and why? And that information can't be supported by some kind of data, whether you got it off your Facebook page or you got it off of your email list or you got it off of um, looking at another artist who is very much like you and finding out information mm -hmm. about their fan base, which is another great way to do this. Um, if you can say like, mm -hmm. I wanna be just like this artist, my music is a lot like theirs, I'm gonna target the same market that they're targeting. It's, you know, um, soccer mom women over, you know, 50 to 65 years old, um, who like, you know, who are into uh, backpacking and outdoorsy stuff and they love, um, you know, uh, golden retrievers and all kinds of retrievers and they're driving their kids, you know, actually they're empty nesters cause they're 50, 65. And so they love gardening, you know, like that's the kind of information that is just like a gold mine because it allows you to kind of get out there and then target those 
people who are like them who don't know about your music through some other mechanism. The online world is an amazing place to find people uh, with those kinds of interests and then figure out how you can advertise your music to them, whether it's for, you know, through blogs, through free, through articles, through, you know, different kinds of content. Um, just been talking to a musician about the idea of doing a cooking show um, because his target market is women and, you know, what women like to watch cooking shows. Men like to watch cooking shows too. It's not something, it's definitely, it's like cooking and music, right? So here's a, mm -hmm. it's like, this is his target market. These are the th kinds of things that people are interested in. Um, figure out who those people are and what they like. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very important stuff. Um, all right. So this is what we talked about last time. This next one is number four is focus like a laser on how and where to make money, but in a way that is personal to your existing right. skill set. And uh, if you haven't seen, uh, if you haven't seen the other two, part one and part two, I think there were episodes eight and nine that we did, um, which was based off um, Sylvie's uh, uh, seminal uh, blog post. What is your popcorn? Yeah. <laughs> well, that wasn't. What yeah, is your popcorn? Yeah. Um, it, yeah. Um, but it, it's really important. I mean, you know, uh, figuring out what, you know, I, it's funny. I, I made, um, I recently started uh, <clears throat> managing a, a band and uh, I made them all read your, your blog post. <laughs> And we talk about popcorn, right? <laughs> but it's really it's important. You know, what is your your high margin? Yeah, it's a great concept. What is your high margin? You know, low cost, high margin um, uh, thing that you're you're going to sell, whatever it is that um, yeah, that is going to make you um, financially viable in this music business. Totally. Um, so and, I totally agree. Um, you know, I okay. I I think sometimes it can be things that are surprising and not always obvious to musicians. One of the things, um, I think it's a little bit like understanding your own musical strengths and understanding your own talents is, is really hard sometimes. I mean, all of us are myopic when it comes to ourselves. And that's why, that's where, having a manager or having somebody who's like outside of the band, um, outside of you who can look at you in a critical way and say, you know, this thing that you do is really, is really great. You should do more of that. You can do the same kind of thing um, a little bit yourself, but sometimes it's, it's really hard. Like sometimes like a fan has to kind of beat you over the head, but like with, I want to buy 17 of these, t-shirts because they're so amazingly cool um and then the artist sells out of them and they don't ever get any more and it's like well why wouldn't you want to buy more you know make more of those you know even so maybe they were they were really expensive to make and they were really beautiful or they were hand decorated um so maybe they are really hard to create and that's why you don't want to do it again but maybe that's something where people are just really resonating with that particular design or they're really resonating with a particular type of format of your show you know like um maybe you have done a show at a nursing home and it went over really really well because they really liked your music and you just did it that one time and you know then you thought oh you know i'm just uh, just not just was that's not me i'm not the nursing home you know like balladeer but i'll tell you those people pay money like they have entertainment budgets so college stuff you know nursing homes um schools like schools elementary schools have budgets so if you can if you if you find a place where your skill set is appreciated and there is money to fund what you did whatever it was that's where you should expand if that's what you want to do is make a living with your music it might not be what you imagined right because you imagined yourself being the rock star at you know 
the Tacoma Dome here in Seattle, right? Or whatever. Um, so maybe you didn't imagine that you were going to be getting paid $500 to play at a nursing home. But like $500 is pretty good for a musical, single musical performance. So, you know, mm -hmm. or maybe you find that doing house concerts, you just are really good at that intimate space performance. So you did one house concert and it worked really well. I have a client I worked with who does children's music. And when we first talked, she had not really done a lot of performing out. And I recommended that she, you know, figure out how to do like house concerts, birthday parties. Cause she does a lot of her stuff is kids stuff. She's great with kids. And now she's like totally in demand and other artists who have shows, if they can't make the show, she's like their backup person, right? So you know that that's pretty good. If if other artists in your genre are calling you up to say, hey, I can't go to this show, I can't make this show, or I heard about this show, but I can't go, um, will you, will you, they're recommending you for that show, right? So you must be pretty good at that. And, it, and mm -hmm. if that's your niche and you're getting paid to do that, that's great. That's great feedback. Sometimes I just think that our vision of who we believe we are as a musician is not, you know, it's something that sometimes we need to massage a little bit in order to be able to actually make money. And then it's like, well, I'm not making any money. Well, you're not doing the things that people want to pay you to do, right? So that's really important. Um, the... Uh the next one was combined live streaming, live and streaming events to maximize revenue. Yes. And I'm, I'm just getting into that. And I, I'd love for you to expand on that. A bit. Absolutely. So the, some of the, um, I, I've seen two different ways this can work that I've seen have been successful. Cause I've seen a lot of, um, on like what I would consider maybe, you know, not revenue generating online, you know, concerts, but, two ways I've seen them work. One is to um, broadcast an existing live event, which takes a little bit of work because you got to set it up ahead of time. Um, and you have to have somebody mm -hmm. run the computer. Um, but it's great because there's an existing audience. And so the online audience, for those of you who don't know, what I'm talking about is stuff like staging, concert window. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go up on those websites. You'll be able to see immediately what this is all about. You don't don't need a whole lot of really um, complicated equipment generally, um, but you can broadcast an existing like coffee house event or a house concert out to your fans. And in particular, um, most of these platforms have a way for people to tip or buy your your merchandise or buy your CD or download mm -hmm. your CD for money. So you're making money. So if you're already doing a show, why not broadcast that? You know, why not give people the opportunity to participate in it if they're not actually there live and have that feel of that live event? I think that's that's actually one of the more effective ways to do um, to do those those kinds of events. The second thing that I've seen work in terms of and when I say work, I mean, attendance and people paying money. The second one I've seen work is a regular thing. So if you're doing like this guy that I was talking about doing the cooking show, we could easily do that on concert window where it's like a regular thing. So it'd be like, you know, every Thursday mm -hmm. night, or if that's too much to commit to, you know, one Thursday a month or whatever you, you pick um, and just be consistent about mm -hmm. it and be regular and show up. And you will find that over time people will, you have to promote it on your social media sites, onto your fan base, but you'll find over time that regular people will mm -hmm. show up to basically be with you. It's just kind of like your, you know, it's your radio show. It's your radio hour, you know, your weekly radio yeah. hour where you will have that core group of people who come and they will pay to be with you. And that's, I've seen that happen with musicians where, their core fan base, it's the same people. It's almost exactly the same people all the time, but they're doing it because they want to be with you and they want to connect with you and they want to hear, they want to request a song and they, you know, and, and the artist is talking to them directly. And so that's a conversation and, you know, they're typing the messages over in the window and it's much more intimate. It's usually a more, 
you know, a less formal setup than like an actual concert. There's a little more talking, a little more yeah. interaction. Um, and those can be really, really um, great as well because you've got regular people who show up. Maybe they don't show up every single time, but those are the, those are the fans that you can get to, you know, tip you $10 or $20 or $50 sometimes, you know, and there, you know, that's mm -hmm. a great way to mine the, the Facebook or, or the, um, I'm just looking at Stephen J. Stephen J. White's like Facebook thing caught my Facebook live. Yes, exactly. Facebook live is just Love Facebook kind of live. starting to become something that musicians can use to do this because everybody's on Facebook. Right. So, um, it's super easy, yeah. right? Concert windows, you know, I got to download something, I got to deal with this, right? Um, but Facebook is already, so already I did a, I'm going to put up a, a link here. I did a podcast with this uh, group. I don't know if you saw it, but, uh, happened to see that one, but um, with this uh, website called showtheshow.com and they um, helped. Did you mm -hmm. see that one? Um, it was fabulous website and uh, I just really recommend people getting in touch with them because they will help coach people um, for free, awesome. uh, bands for free to figure out how to get on streaming awesome. uh, audio only or awesome. video. Um, and, uh, it's a curated, uh, search, essentially a search engine of, of, uh, you know, online, um, uh, different audio streams, um, and that they're really building up anyway. There was, it was just a lot really great resource. So I put up the podcast there, but yeah, I agree. We love you. that participatory element. Well, and one thing that you didn't mention about concert—I'm sorry—I don't think you mentioned about concert window—is the uh, besides the tipping is the email yes. addresses and and really the the connection. Um, I'm sorry, did no. you mention that? I missed. Good call. Um, but no, I don't think you did. Um, yeah, it's it's so you know being able to be able to get in touch uh, with these people again is is really fabulous as well. Um, and I just I adore Facebook Live. Um, I absolutely adore Facebook Live. Um, it has been amazing for um, the band I manage. Um, just just the few times we've we've done, you know, just parts of sets. The interaction is so now, high. Is there a way to um, monetize so, that that you found, or is it really you're just doing fan outreach? Is there a is way that? to monetize that? Is there a way up. to make money off of that? Or so far, we're just yeah. playing with it. Um, that so far, um, I have not figured out how to monetize it, but, um, but a lot of the, the monetization is, is really in the, just the fan cultivation and, and getting them to come back and engage with you. Um, but, uh, but concert windows, you know, much easier to monetize, you yeah. know, just the tipping and the, and being able to remarket yeah. to those and people. The, and so. the key really there is to have somebody who can run this while you're performing. Because it's really hard to, to perform and yeah. like. Yeah, you have to have someone. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, um, so then the next one um, is get your music on Spotify and others playlists. Yeah. Uh, great idea. I haven't figured out how to do that yeah. yet. So there's a lot of discussion. Although I did, I did see that there's a, there's a link in here. Um, to a blog post that you recommend yeah. about and the there's topic. An, so there's another one that, that I, that was on, I think it was on Hypebot. I'll find it. There's another one since I put this out that mm -hmm. talks about um, getting on Spotify playlists specifically, like how do you actually mm -hmm. approach these people? Can you do that? Um, mm -hmm. There's also been, um, you know, Spotify is actually now uh selling access to their playlists which is kind of interesting like to brands mm -hmm. um not to musicians mm -hmm. at least not that we know of mm -hmm. um but creating your own playlist is one of the ways that i think chris robley talks about being able to get more fans right so you know part of this whole idea is creating playlists that other people are going to share that other people are going to sign up to and mm -hmm. that your music is a part of it, but it's 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 part of this whole marketing strategy or content marketing strategy of providing value mm -hmm. beyond just your music. So if you create a playlist like for, mm -hmm. um, 
you know, workout playlist or chill playlist, Mm -hmm. right? And you distribute that to your friends. Maybe some of your friends are going to distribute it to, you know, or or share that with um, Mm -hmm. their friends. And this is a way for you Mm -hmm. to become a valued curator of music that includes your own music. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, music that is like yours. And that's a big part of being able to reach other people who haven't heard your music, right? Maybe they, they love this one artist on there that they've heard before um, and is very popular, but they've Mm -hmm. never heard your songs. And so again, that kind of comes from, Mm -hmm. I think a little bit of self-awareness, which is hard for us musicians because we tend to get very myopic. Um, And, you know, people ask us like, who's your, what's your music like? Oh, it's not like anyone else's music. And it's like, yeah, it is (laughs) like, I think you, sometimes you got to go to somebody else and ask them, like, what does my music sound like? So you could create a playlist of other artists and your music that is similar, that would appeal. And, you know, creating your own playlist is certainly something you can do. Uh, I, I definitely think that's mm-hmm. a, a, a mechanism for getting your music out there. Mm-hmm. And I'll find that other article too. Um, That'd be great. And um, number seven, figure out what kind of crowdfunding works for you. And I, I also did a. It's funny. I, I did. I did podcasts on like almost all of these topics, which is kind of cool. See, I just <laughs> read your mind. I think we we think alike. <laughs> um, but um, uh, so much pushback. I get so much pushback from from bands about crowdfunding. Really? And, um, yeah, it's a lot of work. Um, it's not the work. Um, it's that so many people have done it, um, have not done it well that, um, it, uh, they've got a bad taste in their mouth. I find, um, that, um, and, um, or it just, there just hasn't worked out or they're just, you know, they, there's so many, mis- there's so many, good things to come out of crowdfunding, but then, then there's, um, there's, there's mistakes to be made on the way along the way. And, and, um, what do you think the biggest mistakes are that you see? I think that one of the things that I see is that, um, well, some of the mistakes I've seen are, are over promising and, and under the delivering, um, and your, and your promises, but also, um, just, just over committing, I guess. And that, that has to do with the work uh, piece of it, you know, biting off more than you could chew. Yeah. Um, and then it not, and then it not coming out, you know, and this kind of goes back to the beginning of our conversation, which is like, you know, there's so much to be done. There's so much that can happen and crowdfunding can be such an amazing tool um, and a great way to engage with your fan base yeah. and, and really, uh, and deliver value. Yeah. Um, but, um, but, you have to, you have to think very carefully about it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think um, it's not for the hermit type of musician. Um, It does require a fair amount of interaction during the campaign and and a certain level of ability to self-promote. And I think Mm -hmm. that's something that not all musicians are comfortable with. And so you know, it doesn't really create a fan base. It taps your existing fan base. And, yes. you know, the musicians that are, that are I've seen who are really successful at it are realistic about how much money they can raise. They don't do it too often, although most of the ones that I've seen do it successfully have done it multiple times. And so they've learned, you know, from the experience um, and then a lot of the musicians I've seen who are really successful have read a fair amount and studied successful crowdfunding campaigns. Um, so, mm-hmm. and they all, and a lot of times they'll also go out to their trusted, um, advisors with like their video, for example. So they're not just creating, like the yep. video is so important in particularly for like a pledge music or a you know, Indiegogo or a Kickstarter campaign, 
actually for all of them really, the video is, is pretty important. And I think it's one of those things where like, like a live performance, sometimes we don't want to get that feedback, you know, and yeah, it's not everybody can do the pitch, you know, not everybody can create the sincerity and the creativity and, you know, like sometimes that's hard to do. And so, you know, just talking to the camera, like I've seen some bad videos. And so like, you know, having somebody look at the video before you post it is really important. <laughs> like and with who, yeah. somebody who ha who's has some experience with crowdfunding. Um, and maybe mm -hmm. you're not the right spokesperson, you know, maybe it needs to be humorous. Maybe it needs to be, you know, not all you, the talking head. Cause like, that's the other thing is a lot of times these are talking heads, but they don't necessarily have to be, you know, Amanda Palmer did her Kickstarter video was she didn't talk at all. She just held up signs, you know, and that was really creative at the time. I mean, I wouldn't replicate it now because it's been done, but um, you can figure mm -hmm. out a way to express your personality that and the other thing, feedback I hear from some musicians is I don't want to have to beg for money. And I don't so many I times think of it that way. But it's not I what it is. I think about it as pre-sales. Mm -hmm. You're pre-selling yes. this project and why this project is gonna be great, why it's important to you, why it's important to them more importantly. Um, because that's the other thing is like, I wanna do this album and so I want you to help me do this album is like not that effective a pitch. But I wanna do this album because, you know, whatever, whatever other, you know, kind of, whether it's a cause, whether it's a theme, whether it's something that your, um, your, your audience can relate to, um, so important to have something beyond just like, I want to make this album. So, you know, send me money, yeah. you know, it, that's not that compelling. So you got to have kind of a little bit of some kind of an angle and it's worth really thinking through that before you, before you start the campaign. Yeah, I agree with Steve. I agree completely. Here, he, his comment on uh, friends who have crowdfunded were successful, created a narrative. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's about story and it's about having a really strong value proposition. Um, having, you know, giving your fans something to, to hold on to that, that is valuable to them um in, within within what you're proposing exactly. that they they take part in yeah there's so. two artists who i would if you mm. have if those of you watching this um you know now or later there's two artists that i two female artists um who i just really admire for their crowdfunding skills um one is tara naomi who i wrote my last blog post about she just raised like fifty thousand dollars which is amazing to me um, and the second one is uh, one of my clients, Mary Bue, B-U-E, marybuemusic.com. She has done, um, I think, at least two Kickstarters, maybe three, um, more modest amounts. But I love, like, the way Mary is just so genuine on social media in general, and she's really pretty good with her fans, and, you know, she's very, like, genuine person. Um, and she comes across as very genuine. And I, I, I love the kind of premium she offered. She had a friend who did some awesome artwork. Um, and if you just look at a couple of her Kickstarters, I think you'll see, you know, an example in her genre for her, you know, for her, again, a lot of this stuff is like, it can apply to you, but it might not, those particular premiums might not be the best premiums for your target audience. So, mm -hmm. you know, Mary is like also a yoga instructor and um, he's, <laughs> she lives in the Midwest. And so her, her, her fan base has a certain gestalt, right? And you would offer different mm -hmm. premiums. You would have maybe different, a different way of approaching things if you were, had a different genre or a different target market. But I think, it's useful to see um, a successful campaign and how that was carried out um, multiple times, which I think I admire yeah. quite a lot. 
Hey, um, so I'm going to open the seat, and uh, cool. if anybody wants to jump in, they're welcome to. But uh, I thought uh, we'd, we'd finish our, our part of the discussion with, with seeing uh, if you thought that these these held true this six months into the uh, I think so. Into I've, the year. I've I think so. I've only heard more. I think you did pretty I, well. Uh, thank you. I have only heard more discussion, particularly about playlists, as streaming has become mm -hmm. a larger and larger portion of music revenue. And figuring out how to get on playlists seems to be really critical. There's a lot of articles I've read on it. And I just think the whole metadata issue continues to bubble. I don't know if this is going to get solved, but I do think that, um, you know, there's a lot of things in here that are we're, are going to continue to be issues next year as well. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, uh, if nobody's going to jump in, then... Um I think that's about it for today. So, um, wait a minute. Let me let me see something real quick. I'm gonna put up the link to your latest blog oh, post. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Whose music career do you want to have? Thank you. And um, I'm going to be um, uh, very presumptuous and say that hopefully there will be a, a fourth visit. Oh yeah, absolutely. Since, uh, I'm gonna write another blog post. <laughs> <laughs> just gonna have you on each time you do that uh pick your brain and and uh thank you so much for for joining me it again hopefully next time erwin will be able to will join us he was he's off with his band's uh touring right now in denver i don't know where he is he's not in denver he's from denver i don't know where he's somewhere he's busy. on tour he's so busy he's very busy so uh, I appreciate you coming again today, and uh, thank you so much, Stephen, for for chatting and and interacting. We really appreciate it. And um, next week, um, I'm gonna have Dave uh, Deciani from. Uh, uh, oh my goodness, I can't remember which management company he's from. I think it's Four Winds Management, but um, he manages the band Pigeons Playing Ping Pong among other bands, and we are going to be talking and picking his brain about what he is. They have been doing right and what they've been doing wrong and uh getting some real like boots on the ground uh real actionable stuff that uh musicians can use to uh to get it going so thanks so much and um i'm gonna sign off this has been the engage your fan base podcast and we'll see you next week